Hello, America. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you don't have Consumer Cellular yet, now is the perfect time to switch and save. For a limited time, new customers can get wireless service for as low as $15 a month for your first year. Yep, the same exact nationwide coverage as the leading carriers for $15 a month for an entire year. What are you waiting for? Call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com and use code RADIO15. See ConsumerCellular.com slash FIRSTYEAR15 for promotional details. You can support this podcast at Patreon.com slash Partners in Crime Media. The first victim falls to her death. The second suffers a fatal overdose. The third takes a bullet to the heart. Three down, more to go. They're people who deserve to die. People who are in the way. And when she's finished, there will be no one left. In Almost Dead, the twisted novel of suspense by New York Times bestselling author Lisa Jackson. Because when you want a book that amps up the thrills, Lisa Jackson Kills, kills it. it every time. Every time. Almost Dead is available now everywhere books are sold. And for more info, visit lisajackson.com. Martha Stewart Wine Company takes the guesswork out of wine. Yep. Every wine in the collection has been tasted and approved by Martha Stewart herself. And me. And with prices <laughs> ranging from 12 to $30, all Martha Stewart Wine Company wines are both great and affordable. They even offer free shipping when you join one of their wine club options or buy 12 bottles or more. Plus, if you don't like a bottle, they'll replace it with one you will love. Get 20% off your first purchase of a bottle, pack, or club membership when you go to MarthaStewartWine.com and use the promo code CRIME. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about other podcasts and also about true crime, pop culture, journalism. And this week, we'll peel back a few layers of The Onion's parody true crime podcast, A Very Fatal Murder. I see what you did there. And a spoiler-free review of the much-anticipated true crime podcast from Audible, West Cork. Joining me to dive into that and a whole lot more is my real-life husband, Best friend, true crime co-author, and favorite Irish export, Kevin Flint. Hello, Kevin. Rebecca, you know, I'm so grateful that you put this can of San Pellegrino down in the studio. Why? Because I just took it from you. As you did. I didn't bring anything to drink, and now I've just bogarted your soda. Well, we can always hit pause, and you can always (laughs) go up and get me another one. No, I think we have some other refreshments. (laughs) Also with us is journalist, true crime author, licensed private investigator, former defense investigator, and snow crusader with a sore bottom. Laura Bricker. Hello, Uh-oh. Laura. Yes. Um, word to the wise. If you had an ice storm that really froze a couple weeks ago, a thin layer of snow doesn't take that away. Um, <laughs> so I went out to like fill the bird feeder this afternoon. I was like, oh, the birds, I want them to have, we're having a big snowstorm this week, actually today, right now. I, I don't want them to be hungry. I fell on my ass so hard. But I was somewhat vindicated because like two hours later, the FedEx guy actually walked down my driveway to deliver a package and also fell on my front lawn. Laura, isn't there some controversy over feeding birds in the winter? Are you supposed to do that? I mean, we're supposed to just do it consistently. I never remember which it is. I don't know either. Um, I'm not super <laughs> consistent. I'm, I was like, oh, well, the cats need something to look at. I'll go fill the bird feeder. So, All right. Yeah. Well, amateur ornithologists, you can write us an email at crimewriterson at gmail.com and let us know. And we will definitely not read that email on the podcast. So, Laura, I should say to our audience, if your audio kind of goes in and out a little bit today and we're talking to you, like you live in the boonies and we're having this huge storm, right? And The height of the blizzard. Yes. <laughs> Yes, the height of the blizzard and my internet has been going in and out all day. Things have been flickering because um, we're having quite a snowstorm now turned into a rain kind of freezing rain event over here. All right. So we'll do what we the best we can. And we hope not to lose you during the show, but I don't think we will. Uh, and finally, a man who needs no introduction, the acclaimed novelist behind the City Trilogy and co-host of this podcast and the Radio Free Dystopia podcast and purveyor of lots of things I enjoy, including cynicism, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Top of the morning to you. <laughs> We're going all Irish on this one, I we guess. We are. I, I guess so. We are. So just a little bit of an update as to what we're going to be talking about next week, because we already know. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are going to be discussing the six-part HBO fictional crime 
mystery series Mosaic, directed by Steven Soderbergh. It also has a companion app that some say is fun to explore after you've watched the series. Some say is fun to explore as you watch the series. I don't know. We just watched the series, uh, and we're going to be reviewing the series as the TV version in next week's episode. So check it out. It's really interesting. It stars Sharon Stone and a lot of other really interesting actors, and it's a very, very intriguing series. That's what we're going to talking about next week. All right, Kevin, we're going to kick off the show right now with one of these. Can you read this for me? True crime update. You couldn't wait to get that out. Yeah. You're forming the letter T even before I, I told you what to say. It's like we've been doing this for a while. <laughs> All right, Laura Bricker, we have an update on one of your favorite characters from the Netflix documentary <laughs> Making a Murderer and the real-life case of Brendan Dassey, the for sure railroaded nephew of Stephen Avery, whose wrongful conviction case is still hung up in the courts. Do you want to fill us in on what's up with your favorite character for Making a Murderer? I would, and I would like Kevin to do some like cat meowing sound effects for me oh. um, at the appropriate time. Okay. okay, all right. So this is Len Kaczynski, who was Brendan Dassey's attorney. Remember, he's the one who had that horrible defense investigator. Mm-hmm. So this week, this is so fun. A court clerk was granted a temporary restraining order against Len Kaczynski, um, who was accused of harassing her since last spring. And she says in in court filings, I have become so fearful of him that I am constantly looking over my shoulder to see if the judge is around. Um, He's a judge now. So among (laughs) the allegations... Kevin, get ready, that are being considered by the Judicial Commission. One is that his ability to perform his duties might be impaired by a disability, and he's saying it's because he's taking medication. But my favorite one is that he sat next to this court clerk for almost 40 minutes, tapping a pen on a legal pad in his lap, staring at her and making cat noises. (laughs) Until she was so uncomfortable that she left. I guess he had gone um, on Facebook and done some Facebook stalking that she found a little creepy. He's denying the cat noises. He says he, quote, may have picked up a stuffed cat on his desk and made a cat noise once or twice to entertain a little kid. But he did not recall having time or desire to stare at the clerk as she alleges. It sounds like he's it sounds like he's a character in the office. Yeah. He's I'm insane. Just, what is in the water there? I don't know. Lead. Okay, okay. Yeah. So this this is this is what I was it's just it's not I think he's just gone off his rocker. Um so the issues she say began in April, last April, when he started sending her an excessive number of personal emails and posting personal information about her on his Facebook page. She wrote that she emailed him telling him it would help her focus on her job if he stopped that. So anyway, Len Kaczynski, um, we'll see what's going gonna happen with him, but um that court clerk has been granted the temporary restraining order. Wow. And if we recall, Kevin, this guy looked like the, he was like the howdy duty character in mm-hmm. making a murderer right yes oh yeah. god well laura i guess you were right to be in love with him after all <laughs> oh yes <laughs> all right uh well we have another one of these kevin could you please read this for me true, true crime, crime podcast, podcast. Update. update now a very funny little thing happened on a very popular true crime podcast this week one we've never really discussed On this show, but one that is probably well known to many of our listeners, I want to draw your attention to it. Um, You guys know those disclaimers you hear in front of certain shows that, that contain adult or graphic content? One that we never use? Yeah. Listen to this disclaimer. Sword and Scale contains adult themes and violence and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Also be advised that my true crime podcast done disappeared with me. John David Booter, is available on iTunes and very family-friendly. Now, without further ado, here is some indiscriminately chosen trip-hop and your beloved host, Mike Boudet. Indiscriminately chosen trip-hop and your host, Mike Boudet. Um, Kevin, thoughts? Uh, I love that the character uh, lives on. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, and on and on and on. And I know we're going to talk a little more about podcast parodies. I just think uh, John David Booter, the character, is just original. The earnest stupidity of it. All right, Toby, do you have thoughts about this uh, little appearance of our friend JDB in the blockbuster, very graphic, scary True crime podcast, Sword and Scale. I'm just hoping he doesn't become John David Kardashian and just start <laughs> popping up everywhere I look. 
<laughs> I have to say, this um, Mike Boudet, uh, John David Booter burgeoning relationship has, for me... Alleged relationship. Alleged relationship, for me, has done a lot to, and I hate to use the word rehabilitate, but I will, rehabilitate my perception of Mike, who makes Sword and Scale, because he is known for being like somewhat prickly on social media. Mm-hmm. He's really, um, to use one of your favorite expressions, sometimes very strident uh, to people who criticize his content. And I think that he has a reputation among podcasters as taking himself seriously, like maybe too seriously. And clearly that's not the case. He has <laughs> fully <laughs> embraced this parody. Last week I was talking about him contributing a thousand bucks to the John David Booter Done Disappeared Indie that's true. Indiegogo campaign. And um, so good for you, Mike. Good so ba- for you. Basically, John David Booter got paid a thousand dollars for a 10 second insert <laughs> somebody else's <laughs> podcast. But he was also able to give a commercial shout out for his own podcast. That's right. That's right. Nice work if you can get it. Nice work, John David Booter. All right. Well, Speaking of parody podcasts, one of the world's leading providers of snark is getting into the podcasting crime craze. The Onion has released its true crime parody podcast, A Very Fatal Murder. It's a send up of the conventions of the podcast genre. Does this sound familiar to anyone? What makes a murder perfect? What elevates a murder from a regular ho-hum killing to a crime so gruesome and compelling that it deserves its own podcast? Does a murder like that even exist? Is it somewhere out there, waiting to be found the next time I open a letter from a convict or the next time I rest myself out of bed at 2 a.m. to check the Google alert I set for the word decapitated? Or is it just a fantasy, a wild goose chase that will end in nothing but run-of-the-mill kidnappings, dull acts of sexual bondage, or the same old mass murder suicides that say nothing about the fabric of America in the 21st century. Is it all just a beautiful dream? So let's just talk not about the podcast for a second, but about The Onion. Kevin, The Onion is a pretty essential um, parody news source in our life, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. In fact, we have a friend who writes for The Onion. And um, I, I think most people are familiar with it, but it is a mad magazine of... You know, news parody that you can satire. Satire. The headlines are always fantastic. My favorite story was four people killed in open tryouts for Blue Angels. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) and uh, you know, it's just it's 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 crazy stuff. It's it's but it's it's pitch perfect. Yeah, in not only the newspaper, the online you know versions, uh, but it's spinoff Clickhole, which is kind of like a BuzzFeed send up, and the Onion News Network, which was a TV show. Again, where they they parody, you know, real life TV programming. To I mean, news, news formats and, and sports reports and things like that. That's just pitch perfect. Yeah, it's pitch perfect. It's also sometimes darkly humorous. You know, they had they famously had the um, reporter with autism who they'd send to like really autistic, horrible yes. crime scenes, and like he just wouldn't have any emotional reaction to like the horrible train crash happening behind him or whatever. So they they do kind of veer into the the dark as well. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for Kevin and I... It's not for the faint of heart. It's not. But for Kevin and I, we wake up in the morning. One of the first things we do is read the day's Onion headlines out loud. And this isn't the first media project they've made. They also had the Onion Talks, which were a send-up of the TED Talks, mm-hmm. which were perfect, pitch perfect, like in parodying that, like incredible display of... TED Talks used to be cool. Now they're just super douchey. And the Onion, like, kind of caught that before everyone else. Well, unlike Done Disappeared, uh, which draws a straight line between parody and podcasts made by amateur podcasters pretending to be podcasters, A Very Fatal Murder is much more stylized. It's definitely trying to take on the very specific genre of public radio-style reporting. There are like a lot of side stories. There's a lot of commentary about energy and the middle class and um, just the kind of like writing or you know very polished kind of prose that you hear in public radio stories. I'm curious, Laura, do you think this works as in a true crime podcast parody? Do you think it's more po- parodying public radio or parodying true crime podcasts? It's a little bit of both. I definitely, uh, you know, whereas like Dunn disappeared, I found myself kind of just laughing out loud, like because it, it was really comical. This was a little bit more, you know, to me, more subtle in terms of just, I felt like they're just making fun of public radio reporters. Yeah. yeah. And I, I was like, boy, are public radio reporters that heartless? <laughs> are we, are they that jaded? And it was a little weird. You know, we have like this little computer voice. What's her name? Like Ethel or something? Yeah. 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 Hey, Ethel. Hello, David. What would you like me to do today? A. Go online. B. Access my homicide locator function. C. Send email. D. Play music. B. Okay, David. 
Retrieving homicides. It kind of reminds me of like David Hasselhoff and um, Knight Rider. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's like his little consultant. Um, but, it, you know, I think it does touch upon both, but it's a different type of parody podcast than Done Disappeared was. It's definitely, think back to like Limetown, where it was like, okay, Limetown sounds exactly like a public radio type show. Mm-hmm. It's that same vein, uh, but, but taking it to a different level in terms of the nuances of some of the little intricacies of things that the public radio reporters would be doing like oh no no um hold off uh wasn't gonna get her tissues because it made for good good audio when the person was crying i think that was a really great joke that sort of fetishizing of good tape and how reporters talk to victims she was this bright light in everyone's lives and she was going to be a vet she wanted to go away to vet school and then come back and open a practice here she worked at the pet store just loved animals and people too would you mind passing me that box of tissues? Actually, your sniffles are, are coming through really well in the mic, so let's just stay on this. Um, Mr. Price, would you mind talking more about Haley's hopes and dreams for the future? And the, the Prices really seem to be responding well to memories of their dead daughter. Uh, Kevin, yeah. with your former reporter, not public radio, how do you react when you hear the parodying of how reporters behave in these kinds of situations? Yeah, I think you just said out loud what reporters are thinking, <laughs> <laughs> you know, when they get a really good emotional interview. Right. You know, I think, you know, is it a parody of public radio? Not. I mean, I think that's a little derivative. I think that crime podcasts and sort of these, you know, more highly produced, highly stylized podcasts come from public radio. But I, I don't think it's a it's a, an intentional parody of, of public media. Mm. I, I, I think uh, even it, though the station that's making it is Onion Public Radio. No, I think I think because <laughs> you work in public media, you see public media all over the place. No, this is this is a send up of podcast. I only disagree because I hear in it very specific things that are criticisms of public radio. Mm-hmm. And that's why I wonder if that's just kind of too narrow, uh, like like a humor genre, like, you know what I mean? So, uh, Toby, question for you. Uh, imagine you worked on this podcast, A Very Fatal Murder. You're at The Onion. You came up with this idea, what, like a year ago? And there's clearly like a team of people working on it, producers, the guy voicing the narrator part, all the actors, all the writers, you know, it's a big writer's room at The Onion. And you're getting ready to go. And then like two months before you're getting ready to drop this thing, another true crime parody podcast called Done Disappeared comes out. It includes great fake ads, Mm -hmm. a lot of the same punchlines as you know you've written into your show. How pissed are you (laughs) if you're working on this thing? Uh, Yeah, I'd be pretty pissed. (laughs) Uh, And then I also think, you know, I I think Done Disappeared accomplished a lot more with like a lot less effort, Mm -hmm. I think. I mean, it's easy for me to say. I'm sure the guy was... Uh, Killing himself. Working really, really working, <laughs> working really hard on it, but it wasn't like he didn't have like a production crew of twenty people or whatever. I didn't like what is it called a very fatal murder. Yeah, I thought it was pretty poor. Mm, yeah, uh, to be honest, I, I just kind of felt like it was. So, like the beginning, the first like five or seven minutes seemed like it was almost like a list of things that they wanted to like point out or, or sort of a parody, mm-hmm. but then they don't, they just kind of list them, right. you know, it's right. like they're just sort of like straightforward observations. I don't know. There wasn't anything that I heard that I thought was especially clever or hadn't been done before. I mean, there's, there's a couple like the, the narrator has some funny little asides of sort of like not being very like self-aware. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was what I thought was like the funniest part of it. Right. But I think even if there hadn't been a done disappeared, I think it just seemed like it needed another go through to like make sure that what they were putting forth was actually like jokes and humor mm-hmm. instead of just kind of like observations. It just didn't seem like a whole lot of punches landed for me, I guess. Right. I don't think it's fair to say, well, Eddie Murphy's not funny because he's not Richard Pryor. Hmm. Obviously, when we, we make comparisons between Done Disappeared and A Very Fatal Murder, it can't be done in a vacuum at this point. Right. So uh, I, I'm not going to say that, oh, well, it's not funny because Done Disappeared was funnier. Right. But, but, but don't, you think, don't you think some of the jokes, the thunder was stolen out of some the, of the jokes? The thunder was definitely stolen. Hey, there were two Truman Capote movies. Right. The one with Philip Seymour Hoffman won the Academy Award. Right. And the one with Sandra Bullock and uh, Toby Ball or whatever the guy's name was. <laughs> Toby Jones. <laughs> Toby Jones. Thank you. 
just did not. And you're right. I, I guess I would be pretty upset. I mean, not like I'm going to send a cease and desist letter, but feel like, oh, we put a lot of work in this and we just got scooped. They did. get, And that, that's how I see it. They got scooped. I mean, we've heard another podcast with fake ads before. I mean, we mm-hmm. listened to that great Billy Joel podcast. We didn't start the podcast. One of the cleverest and most fun things about it were the fake ads that the two hosts, Adam mm-hmm. and Meg, did. In the sh- and it was like fake Long Island companies. And what they did with their fake ads is they made up hilarious fake companies and they just inserted them. And what Booter did with his fake ads is he used real companies and just like parodied the way that ad copy is written. And then also... The way that hosts are bad, and with very at fatal, they take you know the the ideas of the some of the kinds of companies that are advertising, right, and their promo codes and whatnot, and just made some up like you know, big box of shit and box of boxes, or right, you know, it's basically the same kind of joke. Yeah, there's a lot of boxes, you know, box subscription programs where you get you know loot crate or whatever, right. And, um, so like they're they're going after that. And this is the thing when you say we're not saying that like I think your example was great. Eddie Murphy is still funny even though there was a Richard Pryor, right? Yeah. This is where the writing and the, the structure of the comedy really comes into play. If you think about what Booter did with his fake ads, so he initially brings you like a real company. And then another real company. And the joke is, A, the way the ad comes at you, like when you're not expecting it. And it's like really tasteless. And then the joke is that he's making fun of the real company. But then he throws in Big Box of Shit, which is a fake company. It's sort of like the buildup to a joke. Uh-huh, right. He's very clever at that buildup in a way that I think this is not hitting the mark with. Yeah. The only thing is different. And, and, I th- and I think like we have to stop talking about Done Disappeared and talk about this podcast. Because sure, yeah. it's not fair to this podcast. But I, the difference is that as far as narrators go, what I like about the John David Buddha character is that the earnestness mm-hmm. that he displays and you know his, his like Toby says his lack of self-awareness right. now the the narrator and the character's name escapes me which is meaningful probably because unlike John David Buddha he didn't say it 15 times in the <laughs> podcast in right. such a silly way uh, but that that's a whole other kind of tone and I think it, it really has I think done disappeared was built out of an appreciation and a sort of love of the podcast and the things that, you know, uh, you can riff on, where this one kind of seems like it's built on the idea of studying the podcasting world mm-hmm. and true crime podcasting and deconstructing it into comedy, mm. which is also good, but it's just like, Toby, what you said, it's just done disappear, which is sort of more natural. Now, Laura, we talked about, I think we think about American Vandal as well. It's another good example. Mm-hmm. In yeah. these in these stories that we love that are send-ups, that we actually came to kind of, in some weird way, care a little bit about the story, yeah. even though it's a fake story. Yeah. So how important do you think it is for parodies and satire to go beyond jokes about form and format and create a substantive narrative that we are actually following and care about a little bit. I think it's important because I, I mean, that's you guys are just talking about how you can't remember the narrator's name. Neither can I. I. I get it. I get what they're trying to do with this podcast in terms of really critiquing in in a comical way sort of these tropes that we're seeing over and over again in true crime podcasts. But I need to care about the narrator slash protagonist of this story to feel invested in following the story. Like I feel like that person needs to have a little bit more of a personality, something going on that makes me follow along with this story. And in this case, all this person had going along was they were just, you know, super anal retentive about finding exactly the perfect type of murder podcast that hadn't been done before before and it just wasn't enough for me to feel like the narrative uh, was interesting enough for me to keep listening Uh, you know if it was more of a comical person narrating in terms of the character itself and the character that they wrote I think I would have been a little more invested he's not likable is what you're saying he's funny but not likable He's kind of boring. He's kind of flat. I think that Booter is intentionally not likable, and so is this guy, but it's a different kind of not likable. Mm-hmm. And I think that Toby's right. Some of the like side, the asides work, and I think if there were more of that, it would be better. Like The show does try to sandwich in a lot. There's a, you know, there's a commentary on the story selection, the dead white girl stuff. Uh-huh, um, yeah. There's overt stuff about the way the media portrays, quote, small-town America. It can be perverse at times, the fact that your next-door neighbor knows your name, but it can be endlessly fascinating, too watching the way these simple people pass the time. Step right up and test your luck. One dollar gets you five chances to toss the rings. Two dollars gets you twelve. 
The rudimentary game being described here is called Ring Toss. I watched for hours as men, women, and children of all ages handed over money that they had presumably earned in some sort of factory or mill to throw rings around a small, unremarkable target. Their prize? Nothing more than a fistful of tickets to be traded in for plastic junk. So, Toby, are, are these the kinds of jokes you were talking about that, that do land, the kind of narrator asides there that aren't about the, the true crime stuff per se? I guess so, although I don't, you know, that one it <laughs> does, do, doesn't necessarily do it for me. Right. I, I just kind of feel like that's an easy mark, mm. you know? I, I just don't feel, I feel like there's got to be a cleverer way. There is something to the idea that, you know, you have these very educated, you know, most likely coastal reporter types going into these very poor areas or uh, rural areas and like sort of an anthropological take right. on like an S town kind of thing. Happen- right. You're right. Yeah. So and, and so I think they're that's sort of ripe for, you know, a smart take on it. But this just seems like like the kind of thing that would just automatically pop into your mind I, for whatever reason. And I wish I could think of a uh, an example, uh, and I shouldn't because we're not comparing it to Dunn Disappeared anymore, but it's, it seemed like those, like some of his set pieces, I think were better at pulling out sort of the absurdity mm-hmm. of some of the stuff that goes on. It's hard for me to sort of like quantify why I think some things are funny and some things aren't. They either are or they aren't. I, it's like porn, right? You know, when you see it. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Isn't that what the Supreme, that Court, is what the Supreme Court says? Yes. <laughs> sorry, yeah. I didn't yeah. pull that out of nowhere. So, it's obscenity, actually. But oh, yeah. uh, you know, okay, yeah. Not I was in the middle of saying something. I've now totally lost my train <laughs> sorry, of thought. Sorry, with the porn. What's funny? You know it when you hear it. Yeah, and I, I just I, I feel like when I was listening to the whole thing, I kind of felt like I wish they'd gone and done a couple more drafts of the script because it just didn't seem quite there for me. I don't think necessarily it fails in comparison to Done Disappear. I actually think that the the measure that you hold this one up against are the other properties that The Onion does, specifically like Onion News Network. It is so pitch perfect and it's fast right. and, sh- and sharp in the writing and in just the delivery, the way it mimics, you know, everything from, you know, all different parts of news programming, whether it's sports or whether it's the, you know, the... The racial the, makeup of the anchors. You know, the, the yeah, you know, the anchor thrown into somebody in the field. All that stuff is just like, it really takes the essence of that medium and can parody it because it imitates it so well. Right. It's pulling back the veil that, oh, yeah, you're right. You know, when I do watch CNN, they have X, Y, and Z. But I don't think that this has found the voice of a podcast. Right. Which I think is kind of why it's, you know, not really clicking with, with everybody. Right. Is because it doesn't really sound like a podcast only funny. Yeah. You think you just hit it because what yeah, it's parodying right. are these like perfectly produced public radio podcasts like well like serial like serial I mean, really, or yeah. s-town or and and, they, and they're making jokes about douchey east coast reporters looking through their own lens at people mm-hmm. like you know when the mother is talking about Haley's hopes and dreams of the future and says she was headed to college and he's like oh did she think about nyu yeah, oh that's yeah. a real shame that she didn't think those kinds of things yeah the problem is the people they're making fun of are actually not like that there's never been like a public radio perfectly produced product like from the team at serial where we think that the narrator is actually that person. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's like a criticism that I don't think is fair to make about the really great podcast that this podcast is trying to parody. Maybe the audience for this really aren't true crime fans. Right. Like the people who listen to this show. Maybe not. Maybe it's for people who are like don't really know or whatever because it misses sort of what the whole atmosphere and universe is of true crime genre because you do have those high-level NPR produced podcasts like Serial and S Town, but most of the podcasts that we hear are things that are either done by newspapers or smaller groups or independent organizations, and they have a whole different kind of flow, right? Which was more captured, ripe for parody, yeah, more ripe for parody, right. but also a little more on target as to what it actually is. I would actually like to hear the Onion Public Radio Network that they keep referring to. <laughs> I think that could be fun audio, like a parody of like. The public radio magazine show, the parody of like the way, like sort yeah. of like along the line, sweaty balls, sweaty balls, yeah. right? Like yes, that's, yeah. yeah. So Kevin, we talked about whether or not John David Buter's Undisappeared scooped the Onion with this in this true crime podcast parody space, and as a long time former reporter, I'm curious, like, have you ever been scooped 
Oh, I think so. Probably not like the big, big story that I had. Well, there like, was another know. Sheila LaBar book before your Sheila LaBar book. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I was able to sneak around that one and somehow beat them to the... I, we ended up scooping that guy yeah. by, by getting out first. But no, I. you always want something to be original, even you know in, a, in an area where there's like so much to choose from. Right. You want to be able to stand out. Right. Just like the Martha Stewart Wine Company <laughs> takes the guesswork out of wine. Yes, they do. And you know, every wine in the collection has been tasted and approved by Martha Stewart herself. There's a lot of wine. I don't want to say that Martha had to go through a lot, but she she, she must have because she did find some excellent wine. <laughs> she did. She did. Um, I'm going to reach over here. I know everybody got some wine. So, yes. uh, Rebecca, I think this was the one you liked, this Malbec and Merlot mix. Yeah. I, you know I'm a red wine drinker. Yes. All of the red wines that came with the Martha Stewart wines, mm-hmm. they were all outstanding. Right. And I was actually so curious about them that I looked up the labels, I looked up the names of them uh-huh. online, and I found all these like wine blogs of other people who also drank them and thought they were outstanding. Yeah. yeah this was called yeah. Cuvée Jolet, yeah. Jolet, I believe. And this is uh, California Syrah. This is Hayton. You know, these are actually very, very good wines. Did you have a? Did you guys have a favorite, or what did you think? I did. Y'all know that I am a picky Chardonnay drinker, and I have a small window of the type of wine that I like. And I was so I wasn't expecting a lot. I got the Bear Hug Chardonnay. Mm-hmm. It was so delicious, yeah. um, so easy to drink by accounts of everybody who tried it. Um, and then I looked it up online, and it was in fact so delicious that they were like sold out, and you couldn't get it. So I'm not sure where Martha got it from, but um, I'm She's glad Martha. she did. She can get anything yeah. she wants. Yeah. Snoop Dogg got it for her. I don't know. <laughs> well, Martha Stewart Wine Company offers pairings and serving recommendations for each of the wines and a listing of Martha's favorites. You know, the, like the price range, I mean, it's really accessible. It's it's like between 12 and $30, and they're all excellent wines, so they're both great and affordable. And they even offer free shipping when you join one of their wine club options or buy 12 bottles or more. And free shipping on wine is a good deal. Yeah, wine's heavy. They offer a, a year of wine gift membership that's perfect for weddings, anniversaries, and any I special occasion. I want that. And, of course, you're guaranteed to love it. So if you don't like a bottle, they will replace it with one you will love. Anybody sending back a bottle of, <laughs> of no? the ones we got? Nope. Yeah. Toby, are you sending any of yours back? Uh, no. <laughs> okay. You can get 20% off your first purchase of a bottle, pack, or club membership when you go to MarthaStewartWine.com. And you use promo code CRIME. Crime. Again, that's MarthaStewartWine.com and the promo code CRIME. I can't believe we got to say the word Martha Stewart on our show. (laughs) And not just because I'm saying that Laura is like the Martha Stewart of our panel. This is very exciting. It's the the Martha Stewart of Martha Stewart. You know my relationship with Martha. Like, we go way back. I'm such a huge fan. I think she's hilarious. And I love her. And well, here, I'm so you, happy. You to hold drink that bottle of wines. wine. I will. All right. You put it over the there in the what studio. What else you got, Kevin? Well, you know, a business is only as strong as its people, and so every hire matters. So don't settle for posting and hoping the right person will find your role and apply for the position you have open. Instead, you need to choose LinkedIn. Hmm. LinkedIn is more than the world's largest professional network. It's also a better way to find great talent. Think about it. How often do you check? job boards uh never like about as often as i actually read those pieces of paper on bulletin board with the, <laughs> with the right, r- yeah. rip-off strips at the bottom yeah never but how often are you, are you guys on linkedin you know what i'm on linkedin all the time and i you, linkedin used to be one of those things that you joke about like either you're on all the time but you didn't mean to be but like it's become really relevant like in my industry especially digital media journalism i'm actually on it all the time oh it's huge now 70 yeah. percent of the u.s workforce is already on linkedin wow that's 22 million professionals who come on and view and apply to jobs on LinkedIn every week in every industry. Yeah. And they rate LinkedIn jobs 40% higher than job boards for delivering quality candidates mm-hmm. because LinkedIn considers skills, experiences, location, and even more to match and promote your job to potential candidates. It's kind of like absolutely necessary for you to be on LinkedIn. It is. And, I, and then that's why if you are looking for somebody of quality right there. Yeah. And as a job seeker. Everybody is there. Like when you're just on LinkedIn as a professional, like it tells you how likely you are to be a strong candidate for a certain job. So I think it does a really good job connecting people with postings, right? Right. Right. So if you're not using LinkedIn for your hiring needs, you're definitely missing out. So you want to go to LinkedIn.com slash crime and get a $50 credit towards your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash crime for your $50 credit today. Terms and conditions apply. Well, moving on. 
Audible this week released its 13-part true crime series, West Cork. It was a beautiful still night. Frosty, full moonish, and calm. There were stories all over the place about people heard her screaming, and, and maybe they did, you know. But she was found the next morning, battered to death on the road. Though the murder of a French national in a sleepy Irish village is familiar to many people in Ireland, England, and France, it's a virtually unknown case to American audiences. A husband and wife team spent three years in and reporting around West Cork, documenting a story about small-town rumors, botched investigations, spies, and double agents, with the prime suspect still living among his community members. Now, an important note, the series West Cork, the podcast, is available for free to everyone on Audible right now. So you don't have to be an Audible? Yes, it dropped yesterday. Uh, If this podcast is coming out Friday, it dropped yesterday. Uh, You don't have to be an Audible member. It's available for free. So go to audible.com and you can just see it right there. You can get it or use the Audible app. Whether or not it's going to at some point be behind a paywall or available as a podcast on other platforms, it's kind of unknown. It is available for free right now. I think that's an important thing to mention. The other thing I'm going to mention is that if you've never heard of this case, do not look it up. (laughs) (laughs) Don't Google it. Don't do it. Don't do it. I didn't do it. And it's a decision that I stand by. And I always look at spoilers. So the series is now available on Audible. We know that Probably everyone in our audience has not yet heard it if they're listening to this podcast when it first comes out. So regarding spoilers, since we know it's brand new, uh, we plan to keep our discussion as spoiler free as we possibly can because we want you to be able to listen to the podcast and enjoy its many surprises as much as I just want to say I did. I can't speak for the rest of you. We'll talk about basic plot points. We'll never refer to the suspect by name and other characters will also say the characters, who they are, but not their names. So if you still want just a strict thumbs up or thumbs down review of West Cork to know if it's worth your time, we will put the timestamp in the show notes as to when we're doing that part. But But stick around. Stick around. We're going to try to keep this spoiler free. You can know up front that the victim, because they say it right up front, is Sophie Toscan Duplantier, a French documentarian who was killed just before Christmas 1996 in West Cork. Uh, We also know that the nation of Ireland knows who the prime suspect is and that he's a bit of a celebrity. But the suspect's identity is held back from listeners for several episodes. Kevin, was it a good idea to do that this way? Yeah, I think so. Um, His identity is known to people who have followed this in the the UK and Ireland and whatnot. But to to most of us, this is brand new. I I think that this was a a, a clever narrative device because it draws you into sort of a large cast of characters. And to some extent, when we find out who this suspect is, we're a little taken aback. Because we already know the suspect. Because we've met this person. That's right. Toby, what do you think? Did this work to hold back the identity of the suspect for so long at the start of West Cork? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think for the reasons Kevin mentions, and I also think because this person has such a strong and unique personality that I think it would risk taking over if this person was introduced earlier in the show. So I think being able to kind of set up the situation without having the prime suspect be sort of identified and taken a look at, I think was was definitely the right choice. That's a really good point because the prime suspect does, he doesn't hijack the podcast, but a lot of content has to be about the suspect, you know, for, for many reasons, which become evident. Laura, the, the structure of, of the podcast, did it work for you? It did. You know, it was definitely, you know, I, I also tried not to Google this before I started. And the way that it was told, you know, it was revealing things almost like, like a book in terms of, you know, little bits of information being doled out so that you didn't get all the information up front. And you were sort of, I felt like I was learning information as it was happening kind of chronologically in the case, which made it more satisfying um, and also more outrageous and like I just became upset at certain things um, when they were revealed I was like I can't believe that Um, (laughs) you know there was there was definitely some crazy things that occurred in in this case so it it did work for me there were a couple points where I felt like it did get a little bit slow in the actual build-up but if you can 
get through that when the big reveal comes and and the pace starts to pick up, it's all worth it. You know, it's interesting that you should say that because I think it's tempting to think of this as a European podcast because the two hosts are British. It's not. This is an American podcast produced by an American company with American editors and American producers. They're all in the credits. It's all the folks at Audible, some of whom I know, by the way, I'm friends with on Facebook. Eric Newsom. Um, Yet... Kevin, don't you think this podcast feels a little more structured like not an American sensibility? Yeah, sort of a pacing kind of is very steady. And I I don't want to say slow, but it... Yeah, it's not action packed, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a you know sort of a lot of interviews, and and they're setting up an awful lot for later on. So if you're like looking for you know, bam, something right off in the first episode, you might be disappointed. I'm glad that we got to listen to all of it beforehand. If we only listen to like two episodes, like yes, sometimes we get to do. Thanks to our friends at Audible for making the episodes available to us. That was a big yeah. I think difference. we I think we would have been left with a with a very different impression of what this podcast was about, and where it was going. So. But, you know, it to me, it actually feels more like a book. Mm-hmm. And Laura said this. But I, when I look at the way that the episodes are structured, they're very much structured like a true crime, like chapters in a true crime book. Right. In the sense that we have one which is right up front, which is dedicated to the victim, one that's dedicated to the crime scene. The place. One that is dedicated to the place, which which is where they lead off with. That's the first one. You don't usually do that in a book, but you could. And then, like, sort of one that's you know looks specifically at the background of the prime suspect, and then you get into sorts of all other things. But but deep e- dives. each has deep dives, but each has a has a theme, right? Which I th- you know I think it's kind of like, well, this is an audible production. I don't know if that's by intention or not, but it did sort of have the feel to me of, of something like a book. No, I totally agree. It's like an Ann Cleves book, this podcast. Oh, okay. It's very much like the pace yeah. and the structure of a British mystery novel where there are sections. And very often in some of the books that I listen to, um, you know, there are sections that are divided into sub chapters. And each one of those sections is about a thematic story or side story or a piece of the story. And that's how it felt to me. Now, now Toby, talking about um, place, because West Cork, you know, has a very specific set of people living there and it's in a very specific geography. And the show does spend an awful lot of time up at the top describing the place, something we've heard before. I think season two of Accused did something similar where they felt that there was a need for you to understand the environs. Um, Mm -hmm. What did you think of that way to kick off the show, to go do this lengthy description of the place and the people there? Well, first of all, it sounds awesome. Mm hmm. Like, I would definitely like to spend a year there. It is. Uh, I've actually been to uh, Crookhaven in West Cork. Oh, all right. Well, and it is awesome. <laughs> I want to hear about that after Toby's answer. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, no, I think it's I think it's both. It's good and it's important because it isn't like a traditional place, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's, it's, it's a place where, uh, you know, it's fairly remote and it attracts artists and creative types yeah what they call blowing yeah, um it's a good term and it, it so there's a lot of there's a lot of people who aren't from around there originally for this story i think it's actually pretty critical to kind of understand all that stuff because it does sort of set up some of the you know dynamics and tensions that come into play as the story kind of moves along now laura uh, one of the things that i think makes this podcast stand apart is the mm-hmm. amount of access they have to the suspect. Yes. Is it the most access we've heard to a suspect in a case since Serial Season 1, you think? I think so. I mean, I'm sure, you know, somebody will correct me if there was something that I missed. But it was definitely not only access, but just the amount of research and information that the suspect had on hand to provide the husband and wife team, the level of involvement um, in the story, which is good and bad, because I feel like, I mean, part of what hits me about the suspect is that he has an ability to sort of almost like hijack situations to deflect from what's really happening onto what he thinks you should be paying attention to. And I feel like that might be sort of like almost like the trap here in having as much access as they do. Now, Toby, we have a husband and wife, you know, Sam and Jennifer working on this podcast as as a team. I I actually love it. (laughs) Shut up, Kevin. Um, And, you know, I think that, you know, as Laura was saying, they do have this unprecedented access to this suspect, this guy who they show has the ability to take over and hijack, and they tell us, try to do that to them. 
Do you think they do a good job staying objective, keeping their distance from the traps that this guy is trying to lay for them potentially? Yeah, yeah. It's not like an exact like one to one thing, but he did remind me a little bit of John McLemore in that mm-hmm. he's he's a big personality, definitely manipulative. You know, in, in the in the case of this suspect, I think believes that the more chance he gets to explain himself and try and drive the narrative, the better off he is. I, I don't think that's necessarily true, but in his mind, clearly that is the case. And this is one of the things I, I really liked about this podcast. It starts off as being like sort of a super competent but fairly conventional true crime podcast. And then it just becomes these different things mm-hmm. as well. And part of it is this character study of the prime suspect who, at least to me, I found him super interesting. Mm-hmm. Like he's he's not particularly likable, but he does have this kind of charisma about him. He does seem like the kind of guy you'd sit at next to a pub and then he would talk for like four consecutive hours about stuff that some of which you might be interested in, some of which you wouldn't. I think they actually do an excellent job of letting them talk, yep. you know, and you have enough of a framework through which to kind of understand what he's talking about that, that you're able to kind of, you know, I think sort of come to your own conclusions without sort of being led by the hand to them, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is, I think is difficult to do. And I think they do it really well. Can we go back for a second and talk about place sure. in this, in the town of uh, West Cork is not a town. That's the a county. The county. Cork is a county. Yeah. And I think what's really cool. And Toby was talking about blow ins. Mm-hmm. And so it's, I think they, they kind of explained like it's sort of the, the farthest west, west yep. in Europe that you can go. Yep. It, it is sort of, you know, metaphorically the end of the earth. Yep. It's secluded. It's, it's secluded. There are palm trees there, which they don't mention in the podcast, but it's super weird. <laughs> it, it never freezes there. So, like, there because it's right on the, the current that comes up from uh, the Gulf of Mexico across the Atlantic. The, sort of, even though the water is very cold, like, you don't necessarily want to jump into the ocean, but randomly freezes so seldom there that there are occasionally palm trees that pop up. It's a very interesting place. It is a gorgeous place. When I was a teenager, I spent a month there with my family. Um, my parents rented a house in Crookhaven. And so when they talk about O'Sullivan's Pub in Crookhaven, I'm like, oh, snap, that is the first place I ever drank. <laughs> <laughs> and spoiler alert, the 80-year-old pub owner is not the prime suspect. No. But I, I think, and I want to ask you guys if you feel the same way, I think the Irish are just so expressive. Biased. And Well, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but okay, I'm American. I'm a you know, family comes from Ireland, but I just think when you listen to them, everybody speak. It's just it, not only is it just so charming the way the turn of phrase, which I think is probably just you know natural idioms that they throw around in that area. It is just so enjoyable to listen to them. Listen to everybody except our prime suspect to listen to the way everybody expresses themselves. Yeah. It's just, it, it, to me, it's intoxicating. Well, here's the thing about it, what, Ireland, okay? And I really, in some ways, just follow me for a second. Right. I really think it's a, in very many ways offensive when Americans like like to go to other countries because they think like people in another country are like adorable and awesome and like charming. The Irish completely deliver on all of those like disgusting American thoughts because they are awesome and charming and the eloquence with which like every single person you talk to in Ireland speaks about their own life, their experiences, uh, their country, their worldview. Ireland is a place, I mean, I've been there three times. I've never walked into a pub in Ireland or been in a situation at a festival or on a street or in a shop or in a bed and breakfast where I haven't felt like I could stay and talk to this person. And that the Blarney is the Blarney Stone is real. It is a real thing. And there's a reason why it's an Irish legend, because uh-huh. the people in Ireland are great talkers. They are great talkers. And I think it's important that this place, though, even though I find them very expressive, that we still understand that this place has a way of looking at outsiders. Right. And it sort of informs when we get to the prime suspect how they fit in with people who are there and with people who are also blow-ins. Yeah. There's certainly a lot of blow-ins there, though. I mean, he's not the only blow-in, which is super interesting. Now, I want to talk about some other thing that happens in the podcast and the production of the podcast that 
continually blew my mind throughout all 13 episodes. Now, I should say we got all 13 episodes. I listened to all 13 and it was like addictive. I could not stop. I had to hit play on the next uh-huh. one. I was like f- trying to find time. I was like at work, like in the bathroom, listening to 10 minutes of an episode, you know, that kind of thing. That's It's, this, it's that kind of show. It really pulls you yeah. in. Because as- it's audible, you know immediately, oh, it's eight hours. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I've never heard any production that has such a wealth of found audio. The resources available to these podcasters. Laura, we have cops who accidentally taped themselves in their own conversations. Oh, yeah. We have a main character who, for whatever reason, carried a recorder around with him even when he was alone and would just keep like an audio diary. So in addition to all of these in-depth interviews, when they talk about something happening, then they just play the tape. Of the th- from the yeah. 90s. Isn't that incredible? It's it's really crazy. When I was listening to the suspect talking about, you know, having this tape and, and he had also recorded conversations, I was thinking, boy, they, they have different um, rules there about recording people, huh? Um, <laughs> you know, kind of. Kind of. Wouldn't get away with that here. Um, but it was, it was uh, you know, really, I, I liked it being able to have that window into the time period where something actually happened. But the recordings of the police officers, um, without giving anything away, that's when I was like, holy shit, yep. I can't believe what I am hearing. And it was right there on tape. So you can't really challenge that it happened. Yeah, it was it was great. And I, you know, I think the access, you know, overall in this entire podcast was tremendous. And I think that's what made it so compelling. Yeah. And it's not a spoiler to say that because you should know that if this case hasn't been solved, that there were mistakes made in the investigation. Right. And so we, they go through that, too, which is also, I think, the listener is going to kind of like to hear how the Irish handle things, how, how the remote, the Garda, the guards. Yeah, uh, in are, that one place. In that so, place, you yep, know, yep. and like things that could have been done differently. Yep. Now, I, I do want to just make an observation. I just want to see if, if you guys agree. We've criticized a lot of podcasts and we've heard criticisms from our listeners about a lot of our reviews of podcasts. And there are themes that come up over and over again, which is that, you know, this is one sided or didn't get deep enough into the domestic violence angle or we didn't hear enough from the victim or the victim's family or we didn't give the cops a chance to respond to allegations of misconduct or the reporter got too close to the subject or not close enough or not close enough. This podcast is long. It's 13 episodes. I wonder how intentional it was or just how and how thorough they decided to be because I feel like every single one of those boxes was checked. That every criticism that we've ever put out or that we've gotten in response to our criticisms of podcast, like they have every single one of those elements in this show. Right, Kevin? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, th- I think they sh- they struck um you know a good balance on things. I mean, I'm, I just have a couple like I've already listed them, just a couple of sort of quibbles, and it's it's sort of about pacing, which isn't necessarily bad. It's just different, and I think I caution everybody that listens to the first episode and goes, "That was nice," but I don't know why the crime writers were so high on this. Stick with it, and you'll see. Yeah, Toby, do you think that they they did a good job addressing like all of those aspects of this kind of story that that we hear again and again or sometimes missing from these podcasts? Yeah, I, I mean, I th- it's like kaleidoscopic, I guess. It it really does. When it was over, I didn't wonder why they hadn't done certain things. Mm-hmm. You know, it just kind of felt like it was a pretty full picture. Mm-hmm. And again, I think the domestic violence thing, you know, is something that's sort of a, a, a commonality in a lot of sort of violent crime is that I, I think there was a thing about the one thing that adult mass murderers mass shooters yep mass shooters yep. have is is a history of domestic violence yep. so i think giving that the proper weight is important which which i think they did i like how they sometimes you feel like they're brushing off something in particular like the domestic violence stuff but it's only because they're focusing on something else and then they come back right. to it, they don't let it go. in yeah. a way in a very thorough way right. it's almost like oh yeah i forgot all about it. i right. just kind of I think they do the same thing with his potential innocence or guilt. I mean, I think that they are very thorough and sort of exploring the reasons mm-hmm. on both sides. L- Laura, do you agree on the on the thoroughness angle? I think that there were just complete and thorough in this in this podcast. Very thorough, which is why I still have two episodes to go because I was trying <laughs> to figure out when to fit this in. Um, yeah, and and I think that you know at times, yes, that can feel like the pacing is different than we're used to, but at the same time, it's covering all the angles and. And asking, you know, pretty much all the questions that you would want asked. 
All right. Well, I think that's probably a good place to tip our hands and tell our listeners whether or not they should check out West Cork from Audible. Once again, right now, as of this podcast dropping, it is available for free, whether or not you are a member of Audible or not. So go to audible.com, find West Cork, listen to the 13 episodes if you'd like. That's how you can find it. And let's just give our review. Should our listeners do that? Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. Thumbs up or thumbs down on West Cork? I'm going to say thumbs up. Surprise, surprise. Um, this, was, this was great. I really enjoyed it. I loved the place. I loved the characters. There's some really quirky characters and quirky behavior that come out as this podcast goes forward, which is something I always love. I was reminded of um, my new obsession, thanks to Rebecca Louise Penny, mm. because it's, it's similar. It's like this little village where everybody knows everybody and things like that don't happen here. And yet it did. And so it's got that same sort of... Um, you know, feel to it that I've I've come to like in that style of mystery novel, but in a real life story. Toby, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down on West Cork? I definitely give it a thumbs up and I would go a little further and just say that I think it raises the bar a little bit. If I was to list like my four or five favorite podcasts that I've listened to, I think this this would probably be in it. Wow, that, that's a hearty recommendation. And you know what? I'm actually going to agree with you. I think West Cork is Excellent. I think it is different from shows like In the Dark or Accused or Serial, other excellent true crime podcasts we've talked about. It's produced a little bit differently. It's even mixed a little bit differently. And I know that a couple of weeks ago, I gave Atlanta Monster a lot of crap for the way that it mixed music with especially electronic music with talking this podcast has electronic music and uses it well. <laughs> and if you want to like hear what a mix is supposed to sound like, technically speaking, listen to West Cork. It's I not indiscriminate trip hop. It's not indiscriminate trip hop, and it's not arbitrary. But the story is thorough. My only slight critique is I do think, just on an editorial side, it could have benefited from some slight trimming, although I completely understand why they didn't, especially when you get in the later episodes, because the stuff they didn't trim comes into play later. There may have been ways to speed some of that stuff up. I don't know. It doesn't really matter because overall, I think it's just absolutely excellent. Huge thumbs up for me on West Cork. What about you, Kevin? Well, I can see where the the story ends up because it's still essentially a story that's going. Why we heard this hyped up by Eric Newsom over the summer at mm-hmm. Podcast Movement yep. and why we, we were expecting to hear West Cork sooner. I think they just, you know, there's just, it just keeps going on. It keeps being added Yes, but too. our listeners should not look it up. Don't, don't look, look up, up the case. Don't look up the listen. case. Don't do it. Don't look up the case. And I have to uh, apologize to uh, my listeners for not thinking ahead to put West Cork with the Martha Stewart Wine Company. <laughs> that would have been a hell of a transition. I think I blew it. So what are you going to transition to now instead? Well, I'm going to first say that uh, thumbs up for me. I think that uh, it's the best podcast of 2018 so far. I know it's a small sample size, but I think that this is this is really good. Not the best of all time, but it's an excellent podcast. It's up there. It's, a, it's definitely the top 10 list, wouldn't you say? Definitely a top 10 list. And it's sort of like Toby's right. Like It makes the West of Ireland sound awesome. It is. I really want to go and just get a cottage, but you know, I'd want to decorate it the right way, which is why I would go with my Havenly app. Ooh, Havenly. Uh, Havenly is the most delightful way to design spaces in your home on any budget. You start by taking a free Havenly style quiz, and Havenly will match you with your perfect interior designer who works with you online to design the living space of your dreams, whether it be a, a guest room, family room, kitchen barn where people can stay <laughs> make a studio out of make a studio out of cottage yeah havenly people that's a reference to west cork and, <laughs> yeah and laura i remember that uh you love the havenly app because you're, you're kind of an interior designer right oh yes absolutely well i aspire to be one but i need some help um as you know i i'm not as uh, skilled as rebecca in that department uh So I did like the app because you can actually take a picture of your room and you can email it to them. And, you know, I have some like a weird L-shaped living room, which is like the bane of my existence. You know, I had some questions about formal dining room and how to make it less formal with some furniture I'd inherited. And they were very helpful with that. You can take their advice and and buy what you love directly from Havenly's platform if you want. They offer hundreds of retailers and the guaranteed best prices. 
and because everyone deserves a beautiful living space, you should try Havenly. It's the, it's easy, and it's the most affordable way to actually do it, with prices starting at just $79 per room. So turn your Pinterest board into reality, nice. people. Try Havenly today by visiting havenly.com slash crime, crime to get 25% off your design package. That's Havenly, H-A-V-E-N-L-Y. Dot com slash crime, crime for 25% off your design package. Havenly.com slash crime. Crime. What else you got, Kevin? Well, you know, the RX bar is the whole food protein bar made with a few simple, clean ingredients, which all serve a purpose. You have egg whites for protein, dates to bind, and nuts for texture. And there's full transparency. You see all the core ingredients labeled right on the front of the package. There's no BS to this. Just good stuff. There is. That's why I keep it in my desk drawer at work. It's a great, healthy, delicious bar that fills me up and keeps me going throughout the work day. I really do have RX bars in my drawer at work. I'll show you next time you come to my office. Yeah. Laura, I know you also, you like this, right? You can have a, an RX bar for, for breakfast or you can just take it with you um, when you're on the go. We've been taking it skiing. You know, when you're skiing and you don't want to stop and have a huge meal, but you need some protein and you need something that's good for you, it's a great snack to take along. And if you have a delicate constitution like Toby, you should know that they are gluten-free, soy-free, dairy-free, and free of any added sugar, artificial colors, flavors, preservatives, or filler. You can actually taste the real fruit and the spices like sea salt. It's it's all there for you to savor. Hmm. So for 25% off your first order, visit rxbar.com slash crime, crime and enter promo crime at checkout. Look for Rebecca tweeting photos of herself with her Rx bars. Ooh. I am going to tweet photos of myself with my RX bars. I'm going to open my desk drawer at work, take a photo of my stealth RX bars, and tweet that out. Yeah. All right. So go to rxbar.com slash crime, promo code crime, for 25% off your first order. All right. Now it's time to move on to my favorite part of this podcast, a little something I like to call the crime Crime of of the the week. week. Last week... Hallandale Beach Mayor Joy Cooper vowed to, quote, vigorously fight corruption accusations, including the claim that she was on the receiving end of a Dunkin' Donuts bag filled with $8,000 in soon-to-be-laundered cash. (laughs) The story begins with a lawyer and lobbyist, Alan Koslow, who has since pleaded guilty to hiding the source of $220,000 in illegal gambling and drug dealing, being contacted by people who he thought were wealthy land developers from California who were, quote, seeking political favor for projects in Hallandale Beach. But in a twist, the, quote, developers were really undercover FBI agents. Over the next few months, they recorded their interactions with Coslow and the politician he said they could influence by sprinkling a few well-placed dollars. Shocking. Cooper. According to court documents, he told the developers that he had the vote of the mayor in the city of Hallandale, and if they supported the mayor's causes, she would favorably view their projects. Three days later, Kozlow allegedly arranged a meeting with the mayor in her office. The mayor offered up more than her own support, according to documents. The frosting on the cake donut was that she had two other commissioners and they were a team of three that could, quote, encourage a favorable result for the development project. It's like Chinatown. It's like Crime Town. The developers eventually handed Coslow a dough-filled Dunkin' Donuts <laughs> bag with 80 $100 bills inside. It's full of dough. I a love short it. time later, Coslow handed 10 checks, $500 apiece, to Cooper at a fashion show put on by the apparently fabulous Hallandale Chamber of Commerce. Cooper's campaign recorded that the money was donated by several teachers and one retired person, all with Russian last names. Complicated story. Very, very Crime Town. So here's my question. If you were delivering a bribe to a crooked mayor, what retail or restaurant bag would you use to avoid suspicion? Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. I'm going to go with Trader Joe's because those are some pretty sturdy bags. Uh, You can hide a lot of cash in there. Mm. The handles hold up well. um, So I would go with that. What about you, Toby? What kind of retail or restaurant bag would you use to avoid suspicion if you were delivering a, a bribe? I'm not sure if I would just trust an ordinary bag. So what I might use is a box. And it would probably be John David Booter's big box of shit. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's a, that's a good plan. What I would do is I would um, go to CVS, buy one thing, uh-huh. uh, and then use the CVS bag and put the eight-foot-long receipt they give me on oh. top of the cash <laughs> to, hide it. to completely uh, obscure the view of the cash if anyone were to peek inside. What about you, Kevin? I'd use a Louis Vuitton bag because I mean business, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, before we wrap things up, Laura Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? We do. We have an Irish cat. Actually, oh. it's a dog and a cat. So I don't know this person's real name. Tal Kalen or Tal Kalen mm-hmm. um, from Galway. And... <laughs> Okay, I, I hope you're all sitting down for this one. Yeah. Our dog, Patty, brought our cat, Felix, into the house this evening and lovingly placed him in front of the fire. Yes, that was such a sweet thing to do, except for the fact that Felix was buried on Tuesday. Oh! oh. <laughs> Hence, I am on the wine, she says. So there I'm you go. I'm on the wine. Who would think that would happen? Oh. The dog came in with his mouth full of the cat. Oh, my goodness. That is such a dog Poor. thing to do. And, and we have a Felix the cat now. So that's, you know, aside from the fact that it was dug up, it was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> a little pet cemetery action. Oh. All right. Yeah. You could go a yeah. month full of Sundays before you saw that again. <laughs> that's terrible accent. It's just terrible. I just, <laughs> we should probably end it on that note. Laura Bricker, if listeners want to uh, reach you on Twitter, perhaps send you photos of their deceased stiff as a board uh, dog toy dead cats of the week, how can they find you online? At Laura Bricker. And Toby Boff, listeners want to reach out to you and find out what the other podcasts are on your all-time favorite podcast list. How can they find you on Twitter? At Toby Ball NH. And Kevin Flynn, if Irish nationals want to tweet to you and berate you for your super shitty Irish accent, how can they find I'll you? I'll take online? them all on. That's Kevin P. Flynn. <laughs> and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Reb Lavoy. You can tweet to our show at Crime Writers On and join the fine folks in the official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group or just leave a comment on our regular old Facebook page. Subscribe now to Stitcher Premium to get exclusive ad-free content, including our other podcast, Married With Podcast. Go to stitcherpremium.com slash crime and use the promo code crime at checkout for a free month. If you love this show, leave a review and tell a friend. It makes a huge difference. Our theme song was performed by Rocksteady Freddie and the New York Scott Jazz Ensemble. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, formerly known as Studio C. And before that, the closet in our basement where we have not so secret recording devices and no one is investigating that. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Top of the morning. <laughs> I don't know if you guys are going to be able to hear this or not, but our yep. studio smells like pancakes right now because, you know, that nice. weird squeaky noise my microphone stand was making? It's gone because I sprayed it with Pam. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.